Good morning, Francis. It's a pleasure to have you today on the show. I'm really happy you accepted our invitation. You've been an international executive with a strong experience in marketing and strategy in the luxury business. And that's why we thought we would get your views on what it is to sell, especially what it is to sell luxury. Could you tell us more about yourself? So we have a better understanding. Philippe, it's a pleasure to be here today. Now it's true that I spent 25 years in the luxury industry, primarily for luxury retail, selling, marketing strategy. And besides, I'm really, really motivated by the fact of selling. It's very strange. No one in the luxury thought about selling techniques. So I wrote one book in French called Ventre le Luxe, the selling techniques in the luxury industry. Face-to-face, B2C, and I wrote on luxury selling and how to influence healthy customers, how to work on the customer psychology. These are two books really devoted to luxury and customer psychology and selling techniques. It is my role today to share my experience of luxury. So my role as an educator, as someone who really passionate by selling. Excellent. That's exactly the topic. And that's quite surprising that uh, for such an industry like luxury, There is only very little written about how to sell it, although they're really good at that. So I would like to start right away. As a former luxury group executive, you worked for Richemont, you're authors of books. You've given us a little bit of background about yourself. With your luxury experience, what is the most challenging aspect when you sell luxury creations? Well, I started my work with luxury for the brand such as Piaget as a country manager and then as an international retail director, global for Piaget in Geneva. I spent five nights in Geneva. I love Switzerland. My daughter was born there. Now, what happened in the watch industry and luxury in general? In fact, as we said, luxury is about details. It's about how to do more than necessary. That's the motto of Piaget, toujours faire mieux que nécessaire. So this is all Swiss. This is all luxury. But at the same time, when I start to work as an international retail director, I found out that, in fact, we know how to do beautiful products. We are good in crafting, but we don't really know how to sell them. We feel that they are so good, they could be just sold by themselves. Many luxury brands feel that because the image is so good, they will spend months, years just to design some logos, some graphic. But what about face-to-face? There's really, at least at that time, a lack of know-how. Would you say that basically they put so much emphasis or effort on the product and on the marketing that they are not really spending that much time on the face-to-face training? That's how you would see the challenge. In fact, you have a lot of marketing thinking how to do the thing better, which is at the strength of the luxury people. Details how to do it better. But when it's about selling, how to improve the relations, then it's a bit more complicated because you are dealing with a thing that are not tangible. Salespeople are different. Customers are different, countries are different. So all that make it so complicated for the luxury management brands to handle. And most of the time, too low investment to achieve that target. The first thing I was thinking is that in fact, when I was country manager, the most important were by people because there's our limited resources and there are unlimited resources. The limited resources out the number of watches you have in the store, the number of traffic you have today, the advertising amount you can invest, and you have a traffic limited today. But now what is unlimited is your capacity to sell, to achieve, to conclude the sales. This is unlimited. 
because there's difference between a good salespeople and less good salespeople. You can achieve double the performance. So this proof that is unlimited. Working on the people is always the best because this is unlimited resources. Because human, we are so intelligent that we are the unlimited resources compared to the limited and tangible resources that we have in the retail. You're very optimistic about people. I, I like that actually. Now let's be concrete. How we can achieve by developing these resources. First thing, salespeople need techniques, need methods, need know-how. There's no artisan without know-how. There's no efficient people without method. You need know-how to achieve anything in life. Because this is work, this is not pleasure. So we do need techniques, you need know-how. You need a lot of combination of experience and this experience become techniques, become method and become how to achieve. Now in the luxuries, there was not known. I was looking for technique for some, some kind of method. And we have a lot inspired by different things, hospitality, ceremonial services. But now when I really ask now, do you have method to sales? There's not many method. So then I, I decided to write book to share my knowledge. So I developed a method called active selling for Piaget and I deploy, I try and I wrote my book. Active selling is different from passive selling. Active selling is someone who handles the process. Active selling is one you are in control of the process. Francis, just before going into details, which I would love to, but basically what you said, the industry as a whole, especially the watch industry, was taking methods from other industries about selling. Is that what you're saying? That's right. There was, for example, taking experience from the hospitality, which is called a selling ceremonial, meaning that you are the brand you tell to salespeople how to impose a certain way that the encounter should happen. A ceremony is like at the church, right? You go to a ceremony. So you follow the ceremony. You are knowing you, as the, the customer have to follow the ceremony because the brand handled that ceremony. So this is for me was, I didn't see it as a sufficient. Then you have, I saw a lot of from this to be, to be a selling techniques, which is uh, become very really professional, self-confidence, come here, shake hands and self-presentation which is not elegant, which is in the luxury, not adapted. And then you have people thinking about uh, looking at the customer, the type of customer, A type, B type, C type, categorized, which I don't think is right. In the B2B, with the customer, you talk a lot. After two years or maybe six months, you start to know the customer. You can give a category. Yes. In the retail, you cannot do it. This customer is coming for the first time. How can you give a category? It's, it's, it's not possible and it's dangerous. So that's why I start to think there must be different way into this B2C relation and how to do it into have a method, not having fixed recipes, fixed way to do things, but being flexible, being human in this relation, but human with techniques, human with methods in order to achieve that relation. So first, now you mentioned your method and that uh, you were saying active, passive selling. So we can maybe just jump into that. How is that method different? If you have some very concrete example, let's say I'm a salesperson and just start working in the luxury industry and you train me, what's your advice to me on how to become a good salesperson? Okay. So, so for probably if you are a salesperson, probably you are a good salesperson and you like to sales. Otherwise you would not be here. But this being said, being a good salesperson doesn't mean that you have a method. Doesn't mean that you know what you do. Doesn't mean that you have a great and great. Doesn't mean that you always have control. Now the best salesperson 
And if you want to become the best salesperson, is to have control. Is be able to succeed every time with any customers. Meaning that you, you know how to conduct the car at any road, even with a icy day, even with a raining day, you still can drive that car. You are able to know because you know how to drive. You just drive, you don't know how to drive, then it's, a, it's dangerous. So what I always suggest is first, self-conscious. You need to know what you are doing. In order to do what you are doing when you sell, you need to have in the active process. I'm doing this, 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 this. So you have a roadmap and in that roadmap inside, you can change because you're intelligent, but you need to know the different steps to achieve the selling process, which is sometimes salespeople do not have because there's no method. There's no learning on that because they, they know how to sell that you sell. No, a good salespeople have a method, but sometimes you have no time to formalize it. My role is to, to give to everyone the method to achieve. If you follow this, it should work. But in the luxuries, you said there was such a method, but it was not specifically designed for the watch industry, for the luxury, right? That's, so there was such a method. Yeah. We tend to consider that a salesperson know how to sell. So if he don't know how to sell, he sells. If he doesn't know how to sell, he learned by himself or he learned by doing. And otherwise he would not be there. A lot of management in the luxury on, I try to be decent. They don't know how to sell themselves. <laughs> oh, wow. Because that was the culture of the luxury industry. The culture of the luxury industry is more the selling B2B. And then, then it was marketing. And the salespeople in the shop fronts, most of the time, let's say they have less diploma, they have a less interesting career, and they spend their days in the shop, which is considered a bit as lower, you know, in the luxury channel. But excuse me, friends, it's the ones in the shop who's actually talking to client and closing or not these deals. So they bring the money. Exactly. So when I was country manager, I didn't know how to sell watches. So I spent my days, my first three months in the shop. Every right Friday, I go there, I put the suit. Then I start to sell uh, Piaget watches. Then after I sold, I thought that I understood it's not easy. It's very tense. It's selling insurance the same. Everything is tense to sell and it's, it's a lot of psychology and you cannot miss it because customer leave and doesn't come back. So there's a lot of tension. This really, for me, was a very important discovery. That's why I work on that subject for now, maybe 10 years, uh, thinking about how to do it better, how to sell better, how to influence customer psychology. And this is really my little light uh, that I, I, I can share. You get me excited and curious about it. Can you give us one, two, three tips, some quick wins about how we could be better salespeople in the luxury? Probably the first one is to think that the first idea is that you are not deciding as a sales, it's customer deciding. So the most important is to focus on the customer. Everybody say that, but to do it, it's not easy. To be able to leave the customer, take the lead and say, yes, this is it. Not trying to say, yes, I think you should do it. No, I'm telling you the pro, the con, I'm telling you a lot of things. Now, after, at the end of the day, you know, do decide. You're advising and you let the customer decide, of course. You take a position of advisor. You don't take a position of the sales. You don't sell, you advise. That's why sales people are called self-advisor. But in sales, advisor, it's just sales. By giving the information in a different way, in the way that you want to decide, because you're professional, you're selling every day. Customer is buying only one day. So, but you're selling every day. So you know what information to give. And then you know what customer wants, so you can help the customer. 
But of course, your objective is to sell, but you will not sell by, by not advising. Not advising will lead you to the state of mind that customers say, hey, he want to sell. You want to sell. Your first advice is really basically listening to the customer and being an advisor to them. What were your second tip? Um, the second tip is similar is to sell, is not to sell. If you think about that, the most important in that relation, if I am with you, Philip, in a relation of sales, you say, hey, he has something to get from me, right? So, hmm. so I'm, I'm really scared. So I will doubt about what he says, but if I'm here today, not, say, not to sell to you, just here to help, to enjoy that moment, then I might be able to sell. So to sell is not to sell. So you forget about the sale, just to forget the budget, the weekly budget, the daily budget, the monthly budget, the yearly budget, forget about that. Just enjoy that moment. The customer come here. It's a very enjoyable moment. Enjoy that. Here, that's quite a challenge for the second tip you have. Basically, you have your management all the time saying, you must sell, here are the targets. That's what you talk about behind the scenes. And then you're telling us, when you are with a client, you have to forget all of this and just basically relax and enjoy. Yeah, Philip, this is exactly what do all the authors, all the sportsmen. They train a lot, but the day they're on the stage, they forget about that. They just enjoy their performance. So it's the same. So when you train at the sport, at the Michael Fields, he trained six hours, seven hours a day. He just go on the swimming pool. He forget about his training. He just enjoy his swim. Same for the salespeople. Don't think about the medals, the gold medal you get. Same. So the salesmen, don't forget you are going to sell hydrate watches, uh, a, compl a complication. No, think about the moment you enjoy with customer and by being sincere, dedicated, friendly, smiling, no relax yourself. It, 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 this is true luxury. By being too aggressive, wanting to sell, you are putting yourself in a dangerous posture, which is mm. aggressivity, aggressive yeah, yeah. luxury. Okay. So kind of relax, enjoy the process. And what would be the third advice I should consider? So the survey is ready to have a method. Improvisation is as a shortcut to failure, but no improvisation doesn't mean no creativity. Creativity is in the exchange, but in an organized way. So when you have a method, you know what you are doing and you are relaxed. Because you are relaxed, you are able to listen really, think really, and then make creative proposition to customer. And you can listen really. You, because you are relaxed from this tension of what you are doing. So integrating this method, your third point, are there shortcuts again, or is it a long process to integrate? We're talking about insurance, talking about any brands. So first thing, you need to adapt your method. Method is a frame, one, two, three, four, five steps to achieve. Within that steps, the logic. And without that logic, the techniques, and then some will take this method and achieve much more than others. Some will take this method and achieve less and take more time to learn. But this is good. But the sales advisor with our method will make mistake, take much more time to learn. And this has, this costs a lot of money for the brands because the most important in the shop is traffic. A customer who comes in, it's got a lot of money. I used to say that you have to divide. The rent, the stock interest, because 5% of the stock value per year, the staff uh, salary, you integrate everything plus the marketing and divided by the traffic. That's the cost of one traffic. 
Ich denke, er will Shop von der Bahnhofstraße in Zürich. Das kann die ganze Quarterstock hier. Oh, ein Person kommt in your shop. It's a little bit cost. So, how to make sure that this customer buys and if doesn't buy, won't come back and buy. Then this is so important. That was a lot of investment. Okay, so you have these three steps. Advise, have fun and have a method. I think I remember these three points of yours. I would like to move on to another question. In your book, you give some examples of selling insurance, actually. As you know, that's a topic we are very interested in. So what is insurance? What do you know about selling insurance and why is it different? Well, selling insurance actually is pretty similar to selling luxury. First, because it's a B2C process, meaning that the person who decides is an individual and decides not only for himself, for his family and for his legacy, maybe. So here. There's a something that is not B2B, meaning that the customers have his psychology under the table. Second is a commitment because when you buy luxury, it's more tense, even for rich customers, because when you buy a car, a car lasts really long, maybe 10, 20 years, maybe it's a collection car. So when you buy a watch, maybe this watch, you think about legacy to your kids, to your children. So the product, the creation itself has long time of usage. And insurance the same. When you commit to insurance, maybe for 10, 20 years, the premiums, and maybe it's something that you don't want to make a mistake because you know how complicated it is to reverse the process, right? So there's commitments on the table. And the third exception, because you don't buy insurance every day. It's from time to time. And this is for you important to make the right decision. If you're buying something every day, it's easy, but the insurance is something exceptional. And you need to have full reassurance on what you buy because the amount is high. Now the amount is not high compared to the customer's wealth. It's because the amount accumulated is high or the amount uh, from a car is high. My customers are wealthy. When they buy a, maybe a watch of 10,000, they don't think. But when you buy a watch of half million, they think. But half million compared to the web, it's nothing. So it's not the value itself. It's a difference. With the lifestyle, it's about the difference compared to normal life that creates that tension. Mm -hmm. So here you can see that buying, selling, it's all about trust. Because if I trust that person, I'm not scared of long time. I'm not scared of the premium. I'm not scared of being a mistake. So there I'm reassured. So everything here, it's about how to establish that trust quickly. Trust is key. And especially even more for insurance potentially, because in luxury, at least you get physical goods. While in insurance, it's even tougher because you get a promise in a way. And another similarity, and people that don't really think about that, everything stuck with the brands. When you buy a watch or creation, the first important factor is the brand. And insurance, I saw there's a brand. And that brand is important. And that brand, most of the time, means a lot of reassurance, trust, credibility. Sometimes we forget to tell about the brand. And brand is very important when you buy insurance. Well, you say you forget to tell about the brand. Can you just explain us a bit more about that? For example, when I live to send my pension, my deuxième, troisième pilier, I put it with La Honde de Genoise. La Honde de Genoise is a state-owned, Geneva city-owned institution. And that gives a little credibility. More than the performance that another institution can give, right? So now it depends on what you look for. If you look for some credibility, then you might want to tell the story. Any institution has their own story, and that story should be able to give full reassurance to the customers. Generational Jira people trust us.
So why not you, right? <laughs> okay. And the salesperson should mention that. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that should... yeah because sometimes reinforce. we forget about that. And the trust I saw, the brand is a salesperson. The, the advisor becomes the brand. So you carry the brand. The brand helps the sales advisor to give that brand image. The way you dress, right? You are in an institution for 250 years and you look at that brand. The hairstyle, everything, you look at brand and say, oh, yes, that's it. That's now there's an, an, another point I would like to see with you. How do you help the whole sales team to improve? What exactly can you do? So in wholesale, it's different compared to retail because it's a B2B. And B2B meaning that you have in, in front of you a professional buyer, a professional buyer with his obligations. A buyer in front of us has objective, the stock, limited stock, the objective. We have to find a common ground and to achieve that common ground is about being team and being able, in fact, to find a creative solution together. In B2B, there's a lot of creativity more than the B2C, because by listening carefully to customers, he has his constraints, he has his objective, he has all the brands, all the people asking the same thing. Now, how you, with your brand, help him to achieve his objective and your objective is what I call the commercial creativity. And the commercial creativity can be achieved in the relation of trust. Because if the customer doesn't tell you his constraints, you cannot have that creativity. He hide it. He's scared. The commercial creativity, as you call it, is really very important. Of course, I assume with B2C, but especially in B2B, that's what you're saying, right? Absolutely. In the B2B, it's all about commercial creativity. And that commercial creativity is possible with the trust and with um, reasons to trust. For example, you have proven in the past you're trustworthy. That's why you keep proportioned here. In the B2C, different customers see you the first time. You can fake it. You can fake it. You can say you are nice, friendly, but in fact, you are not. But in the B2B, you cannot. The real thing will build months after months. And so the most important is never disappoint you, customer, because there's a no return. If customer need the watch, you, you take your customer data. But if you say you did it, you do it. And overachieve maybe also is, is important. Do not need the point of B2B customer. If you say you do it, you do it. And it's better when you do it in advance. It's even better. Then you, you create this trust and that allows you to find this commercial creativity. Okay. I like what you're telling us here. And I would like to know, do you think that things are going to evolve? I mean, the world is moving fast. We have new technologies. Are there some new technologies that could impact the way people sell? What is your view on that? I think in the technology and there are um, different directions that are changing the interaction, whether in B2B or B2C. The first one is this information age, meaning that we are all so informed today and information is everywhere. So the gap of information is less and less. So salespeople, sales advisor cannot lie. Sales advisor cannot bullshit because it's on internet, everything's on internet. And you cannot disappoint because you have a reviews. So in this information age, more than ever, the set advisor have 
more responsibilities because he's not here anymore to give information, but he's to reassure. He's here to advise, to help customers to take decision. Because if this is so easy, why customers still go to the shop? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. They come out online today. It's because somehow they need help. People still go to doctors. Online, you can see a lot of information about medical. You still go to see doctor because you need expert advice. Same. That's why I say the role is more important. We need less, but very professional advisors, super qualified, super strong. And they are going to really to help playing a role, advisor's role with uh, customers. So this is basically what you're saying is that the new technology, let's say the internet, for example, has given so much knowledge now to consumers or to clients, that role of the salesperson, he, as you said, he cannot bullshit. <laughs> and I guess then the method plays an even more important role and the advisor uh, aspect also, because that's what the client wants is reassurance. He wants to have this trust. And that's why they come to your physical uh, shops, for example. That's what you're telling us, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Second is a speed today of everything. So for example, and here in Europe, we are not aware of that, but in many countries, most of Asia, I spend a lot of years in Asia and I'm kind of observer of China, what's happening there. Everything goes very fast. People don't wait anymore. You go to a shop, a store, you don't have the stock. They tell you, okay, please wait. Or before they said, you have to come back. But those are the days, you have to go to that shop. It's finished today. In many countries, you don't, you don't have that stock. You, you don't, don't tell. Because what I'm saying here, the customer are not patient because they are used more and more to speed. Everything has to be fast. Stem daily, stem day delivery. Okay. Not next day, same day. Yeah. In China, might even go faster. I mean, I don't know how much you've looked into the famous metaverse of virtual worlds. Do you have anything there? Because that could maybe speed up even more the process where everything is digital. Absolutely. And in China, you buy something, it's delivered to your place immediately before you arrive. It's ready. Customers are used to fast speed services, but with the quality, not speed without the quality. So that's why it's more and more complex, it's challenging, okay, in this new customer experience, digital customer experience, because you need to provide the speed and then, but you still provide the quality. For example, many of my friends, myself, I buy from a Safe 24 and who's S24 from, from in France. Internet, that's a, a very major group, internet. Because when you buy from them, the package is so nice. It's, 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 it's a real experience, the way they pack it. Some is better than so, actually. Some people do it just to have the boxes, beautiful boxes, actually, they keep it. That's what uh, Apple does with their beautiful boxes and yeah. uh, plentiful of packaging. So that's very physical. And now I don't know if we could jump to the metaverse, blockchain, is that something you want to that's yeah, we can by, I know that you are really advanced in these domains. Uh, so I'm going to give you, let's say, a personal and then point of view. And one of the words that Piaget we actually experienced with, uh, at that time, it's called uh, Second Life. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, at that time, at that time, we opened the shop at Second Life. Because ah, it's, it's, well, when was that? What about? Oh, Second Life was, I mean, 10 years ago or 12 years ago. And, and then Second Life was everywhere. Yes. Uh, and all the luxury brands said, you need to be there. To, in order to be present, to meet customers, because it's a hip. I think a lot of them grow down and now meet the world with all these 
metaverse and internet, all this contribute to information. To one part of the same process is get information. Go there, take, change in the easy way, cool way, simple way. Because it's fun to get information on the metaverse. You can change around, you, you meet people. And, and you could even buy a digital watch and wear it digitally yeah. with your avatar while living in a virtual world. Do you have a take why Second Life did not go much much further? I still have a million pictures every month, I think. But what happened? Why did this company, for example, Piaget, in, in the case you mentioned, did that work or why not? First, the, the institution use it as information, as its internet, as a website, just to communicate. Okay. And you know that communication effort is really big. And now communication is one chasing another. In the beginning, website, 20 years ago, website was handled by communication department. There was no e-commerce department. Yes, yes. Or so even IT sometimes. Yeah, it's IT sometimes. So at that time, I, when I worked for Piaget, we, uh, the chairman said, yeah, it, it should be as a retail involved. Then retail start to be involved. So this is new. So before I think the metaverse is more like a complication, but when it's like website, the, the day the website start to do sales businesses, then it changed the status. So you have revenue. Then you are able to sustain the development. Okay, not only That's maybe what's going to happen with the metaverse. I like to believe it takes two steps, two phases. Uh, we had that with mobile phones. The first wave where we try, it doesn't work too well, but it's there. And then the second wave coming 20 years later, and then the technology is mature, uh, mature, a bit like the hype curve from uh, the Gordon Group. So maybe the second life was just the first premise 20 years ago of what the metaverse is going to be now that it's going to mature. And as you said, it will generate revenue because it was just a cost at that time, probably. But I assume that for me, the singular has also issue that it's not fun enough. It, 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 in a sense that you look at metaverse, the key successes today are in the gaming. The gaming is already here that you kiss people have fun. For example, in China, you have a game called Wanjo, <coughs> done by Tencent. And people spend 10, 20,000 RMB just to buy the skin. The different fund. That's about 3,000 euros, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they spend a lot of money and they make, make, make more money for Tencent than Richard. So, because people inside, they play games and they have status and then they need to maintain their status to show off. They have different skin, different, they become really social. The days is become really social because you need to be here. You need to keep that fund. You need to keep that status. You cannot leave. You have followers. I remember second life, you just there, you go, and then one day you just throw interest. For some metaverse, when you are in, you are just so in, it's so fun, you're so scared to leave. Your analysis is basically that what happened with a second life, the missing parts was the fun part, with the gaming part. So if this was changed with the new tech, this could really change the game. Yeah, I think people want to have something fun in the metaverse because this is where they can be different. They want to exist somewhere. And they want to keep that. They don't want to leave. Second life was not enough in my view. People just go there and browse, go to different universe and then didn't connect enough at that time. So not enough connection, a bit too passive, not ga enough games. So if these things are addressed in the metaverse, these are the lessons learned that you extract from there that could change the game. I don't want to take too much of your time, but I would have one last question of the famous blockchain that we, everybody speaks about. The web three, how could the luxury industry use blockchain 
to boost sales. I've heard some examples, but do you have a take on that? Well, uh, I think there was a lot of tentative uh, for blockchain and there were even some blocks coins developed, but it, no, and even at that time, much more electric brands think that that might be the future to have a coin dedicated to luxury. Well, my watching doesn't work really well. So I think here is you have a niche of populations. These are the bio luxury. This is not the issue for them. The money is not the real issue, except for Chinese where it's difficult to get money out. I'm saying that today you can't secure with a blockchain. So it's not necessary. Blockchain can give you full security for the product. So, but for the blockchain, as you said, there's the cryptocurrency aspect yeah. to buy, obviously. That's one thing with a high fluctuation in the value. But there is also something else like certificates. Ask myself, the blockchain technology, yes, probably this is the most secure, but it's complicated to, for people to understand. But a, a, a certificate for the brand, you can trust. Blockchain over the blockchain. If I get safe from Cartier's, blockchain with a blockchain, right? It should be secure. I, I, I don't need to know that behind the blockchain. Yeah, clear. The technology is not the determining factor. It should not be. In my humble view, okay, this is not best, but in your humble view, Francis. Well, thank you very much for your humble views. It was very interesting to get your views on sales, particularly in the luxury industry, but also a little bit of uh, insurance and also about the metaverse and what could have been better there. And also, of course, on, on the blockchain. So thank you very much to you. Thank you, Philippe. Thank you for inviting me and all the best. All the best. Take care.